We are in God's presence right now as we worship Him, and let us now turn to God's Word. So I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. We have quite a passage in front of us. I'm really amazed at this passage. So you can turn there even in your, either in your Bible or on your Bible app, whatever works better for you. As you're doing that, I'll mention a little bit about my past. I've had the joy of going on maybe 10 short-term mission trips, maybe more than that actually, over the years, and they've been a great blessing for me. I'm so grateful for them. And many of those have been international trips. And by the way, we would love to see this stage filled with more and more people in the future from our church going out to do missions, both short-term and long-term. But you know, and this was instilled in me very early from my very first mission trip, which was to the mountains of Peru. If you're going on a mission trip, you need a very handy little thing called a passport. Really, it's crucial to have a passport. And I remember uh, applying for my first passport and, and receiving my first passport, and that was exciting. And in all my travels, I've never had... Uh, any scares with passports, I've always usually worn them on me, except there was one trip. There was one trip, and I wasn't in country. I was here in the United States, but there was one time where, like a good traveler, I had gotten all my stuff out, you know, three or four days early, and I was packing my bags, and I was making sure I had everything I needed, and all of a sudden, I said, where is my passport? Because I'd already gotten it out of the safe and all that. And I looked, and I looked, and I looked, and I could not find that passport, and I won't go into why, but I thought there was a possibility I had left a book bag at a gas station, so I even drove over to that gas station, have you seen my passport? And the guy looked at me like I was crazy. Um, but, you know, uh, you got to have a passport if you want to travel. I'm tempted to not tell you what happened until the end of the sermon with that. But I'll tell you, I said a prayer, I went home and there was the passport under a bunch of socks or something. I had my passport. But you cannot travel out of this nation without a passport. You need that. I wonder what it might mean for our Christian lives, those of you here, those of you on the live stream right now. If we had a mindset more and more that said, unless God goes with me, I can't go. Unless I know that the presence of the Lord is in this, then the idea of stepping out even five feet without him is ludicrous. I would never even try it. In our passage today, Exodus 33, we find a remarkable story where God says to his people, I am fed up. You can go on your own. And Moses says, Lord, unless you go, we won't go. Let's start at the beginning of the chapter, read the first four verses of Exodus 33, then we'll pick up at verse 12. This is the Word of God. And to give you context before I start reading, the reason the Lord is upset with His people is a small incident 
that you may have heard of called the story of the golden calf. The signature event of idolatry has just happened. Moses was up on the mountain. The people build an idol just like all of the nations. Why Moses is gone. We pick up the story. Exodus chapter 33. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I don't think it said parasites. <laughs> Perizzites. There's a lot of zites in there, okay? They were parasites to God's people. Picking up verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now listen, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Jump down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I will send Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, he's God, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he, Moses, said to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh, how prone we are to wander spiritually and literally to wander from you to feel as though we don't really need you with us but Lord make us the kind of people who say unless my great God goes with me I will not take a step unless your presence is with us 
We thank you for the new and better Moses, our Lord Jesus, who always leads his people in triumphal procession. And we ask now that your spirit would illumine our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Three points this morning. Panic in the desert, the merits of the mediator, and what delights the heart of God. Panic in the desert, the merits of the mediator, and what delights the heart of God. Let's start out with panic in the desert. God, as I mentioned, is not happy with his people. The signature event of idolatry and rebellion has occurred with the incident of the golden calf after all that God has done for his people, after all the miracles that they have seen, they build this golden calf. And here is the the issue that they are facing. Here is the reason they are in a panic. And oh, my friends, they are in a panic. Read verse 4. They hear this news and they say, this is disastrous news. God says he's not going to go with us. But here's the issue. How can a holy God accompany a sinful people? That's the question. How can a holy God accompany a sinful people? Now, God, if you notice the text, it can be a bit confusing because God says, look, I'm going to take you there and I'm going to give you an angel and he's going to lead the way. So you think, well, why are the people upset about that? But listen, the people know exactly what God is saying. God is saying, look, I'm done. I won't go. But I'll send an angel, I'll send a representative to go. And God's people know. Because they have gotten to know this amazing and great and powerful God. That they don't need just an angel. If they are going to go into the promised land, if they are going to defeat these nations, if they are going to lay hold of the promises of God, they need God himself. And that is why they say, this is disastrous news. There is a panic in the desert because the God that has led them out is now saying, because of your sin, not because of my fickleness, because there is no fickleness in God, not because God changes his mind, but because of your rebellion, people. I cannot go lest I consume you. This is a very serious situation for God's people. And that takes us to the merits of the mediator. The merits of the mediator. One scholar says this about Moses. He knew that the fate of Israel was tied to his ministry. I mean, Moses knows that he is the mediator that God has appointed for this Season And the music has been so well chosen. Christ the new and better Moses. Moses was the mediator before Jesus. This is the man that God has called and said, you're going to represent me to my people. You're going to be the one who stands in the gap, Moses. You are the mediator. And as a good mediator does, Moses stands for his people. And he says, Lord, 
It's not just enough that you would go with me. So you have, you have to pay attention to the grammar. The, the, the pronoun usage really matters in the passage. It can, it can almost be a little confusing. Because Moses says, God, will you go with us? And God says, I'll go with you. But then Moses says, no, 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 wait a second, God. That's not enough. That's not what I'm asking, God. I need you to go with your people. I need you to go with us. Now, God does not change his mind. He is not fickle. He is not persuaded by human logic. God knows exactly what he is doing here. And that is part of the beauty of of this interaction between God and Moses. We'll get to more of that later. But Moses here stands in the gap for God's people. And he says, Lord, you've called this people. You said this people would be distinct from the other nations Lord, you said that you set your love upon these people. Moses pleads the promises of God for the people. He doesn't say, Lord, these people deserve it. Look how faithful they've been. Look how they marched out of Egypt. Look how great they are. Look how moral they are. Look how how great everything is about them. No, no, no. Lord, for the sake of your promises, do not turn from your people. I want to highlight for a minute Four things that a mediator does on behalf of his people. Four things a mediator does. First of all, a mediator speaks for his people. If you look at verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord. The mediator speaks to God on behalf of his people. Moses is there. Moses is not just in it for himself. He's in it for his people. In fact, he says, I'm, I, God, my fate is tied up with them. Because I don't want you to just give me rest. I don't just need your presence with me. I need your presence with your people. A mediator speaks for his people. Second, a mediator pleads for his people. We see this in verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and this people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Moses says, Lord, you said that you would be with us. And do you know what makes God's people distinct? And and by the way, this applies to us too. Exact same way. You know what makes God's people distinct in the Bible? It's not because they have all the money. It's not because they have all the power. It's not because they have all the good looks. It's not because they have the biggest weapons. It's not because they're the most clever people. What makes them distinct is they have God with them. That's what makes them different. Lord, you said that you would go with your people and so that we are distinct. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Lord, this is what makes us special. It's not anything about us. It's the fact that you are with us. And Moses pleads for his people. God, you're what makes us distinct. You're what makes us special. Third, a mediator represents his people. We see it in verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. You know, sometimes there's perhaps some confusion among Christians or people who are newer to the Christian faith, and there's this idea that 
in the New Testament, people are saved by grace. But in the Old Testament, sometimes there's this idea that people are saved by works. And that's not true. In all of the Bible, people are saved the exact same way. They are saved by grace. But the language that the Scripture uses is not always identical between the two Testaments. We certainly find the word mercy in the Old Testament. But you know what is really the Old Testament word for grace? I, I had, this was so rich as I studied this this week. It's the word favor. It's the word favor. That is the word for grace in the Old Testament. Moses, you have found grace in my eyes. In other words, Moses, it's not because of what you've done. It's not because you've earned it either. You didn't deserve to be the mediator. I chose you to be the mediator, and you have found favor. You have found grace in my eyes. It's a God of grace. And Moses... As a recipient of that grace, just like God's people, represents his people as the one who's found grace. The Lord says, Moses, I have set my favor upon you. And the last thing is, is that a mediator provides for his people. You know, God says to Moses, and he says it to Moses, but it's true for the whole people. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I love that word rest so very much. We find it on the lips of our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. You know the verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, what is it, God's people? Rest. I'll give you rest. A mediator provides for his people. And Moses here, on account of interceding for the people of God, God says, I'm going to give my people rest. Now, you have to understand that in a very real sense, Moses is operating on borrowed capital here because Moses has done nothing to earn this. He's done nothing to deserve this. It's not that he has been perfectly faithful. We see examples of Moses' sin, his anger in the Bible. But purely as an act of God's grace, God says to Moses, you're going to be my mediator. You're going to represent me. And it's all borrowed capital. And it all points to the new and better Moses, the Lord Jesus. It's only because of the merits of the mediator, the mediator being our Lord Jesus, that we find this rest, that God's presence goes with us, that we can count on his promises, that we are distinct from everybody else in the world, not in a prideful way, because our distinctness is just that we have God with us. Isn't it so liberating to know that I don't need to be distinct based on how good I look, based on how much money I have, based on how many social media followers I have, based on how great my career is going. I don't have to be distinct on any of those things. All the metrics the world is using, I don't need to be distinct on those. None of that is what makes me special. It's that I have God. It's that his presence goes with me. It's that that's the defining characteristic of his people. And it's because he sent the Lord Jesus for us. Friends, we need to think about this word mediator. We need to meditate on this beautiful word that Jesus represents us. He speaks for us. He pleads for us. He provides for his people as the new 
and better Moses. Our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 8, says this about the work of Jesus as our mediator. It says, it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man the prophet, priest, and king, the head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, the judge of the world, unto whom did he from all eternity give a people to be a seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. It's because of the work of a mediator, my friends, that God's presence goes with us that God's presence will never leave us, that despite our own golden calves, which we all have in our lives, and isn't it, isn't it interesting to think, and, and I know what we'd all say, because I know what I'd say, if I was there, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have worshipped the golden calf. I would have kept my gold coins in my pocket. I wouldn't have been part of that. Come on, you guys are crazy. You've seen all the miracles we've done? You guys, you guys are, you got it in for you. You know, that's how I think, but you know what? The reality is probably most of us would have been right there worshiping that golden calf, looking to idols to satisfy our hearts because we are sinful people. But we have a mediator, a new and better Moses who has secured the promises of God, who has said it's not just about me because Jesus was righteous. Jesus is the only one who never sinned, but Jesus came to fight for his people. That's why he went to the cross. He didn't go to the cross for himself. He went to the cross for us to pay for our sin and to say, oh God, you know what a human being needs more than anything else? The presence and love of his or her creator and redeemer and friend. And we don't deserve it. And in fact, in our own sin, we don't even want it. But the work of the mediator, the merits of the mediator secures it for us. And his presence goes with us. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. That's Jesus. Who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's taken the blame. He's taken our sin and he's given us his righteousness so that now we are a people who can delight ourselves in the presence of God. Jesus is the new and better mediator. But there's a, there's a final thing that we really need to see in this passage. And that's what delights the heart of God. I'll tell you, growing up, uh, I grew up around the Atlanta, greater Atlanta area, and I still remember... My family did not have cable television. We did not have cable, uh, which at the time I thought was a horrible thing, um, of course. We literally had, I mean, I grew up with the rabbit ears. You know, the metal sticks that you had to like, you know, or you tried to stick it on the, the window and then it would fall down and it got scratchy and fuzzy. And um, <laughs> if you're under a certain age, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but, but I remember growing up in the, the metro Atlanta area and not having cable, getting like four channels. And one of them was TBS, Turner Broadcasting, uh, whatever it is, um, TBS. And, you know, uh, that's 
why I could watch Atlanta Braves games, because they were on TBS, which was great. But every now and then, I would watch a wrestling match. True confessions. Okay, I would watch, it was called the WCW, and it, was, uh, and it was Hulk Hogan, and it was Ric Flair, and it was Sting, and all these great guys, and I would watch that, and now that I have a, uh, a son, and one and two wrestlers, but one in particular who loves wrestling, and I say, hey, you want to watch Ric Flair, and he just rolls his eyes, dad, that's not real wrestling, but, um, but you know, and I remember watching some fun wrestling matches as a kid, but I got to tell you this. No match that I've ever seen on television, wrestling matches, my favorite wrestling match. I've seen some fun ones, some really entertaining ones. And as much as I love my two sons, and they've had some great matches, even one of their, even their best match is not my favorite wrestling match that I've ever experienced or become aware of. Do you know my favorite wrestling match of all time? It's right here in this book. This book has my favorite wrestling match of all time it happens in the book of genesis it happens between a man named jacob and the angel of the lord and the scholars are pretty much all in agreement that the angel of the lord is a as a theophany it is a appearance of god in the form of an angel that this is a wrestling match between a man and god let me read just a few verses. Genesis chapter 32, it says, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of dawn, day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he, that's the man, the appearance of God, said to Jacob, let me go, for the day is broken. And Jacob responds with one of my favorite statements that any human being utters in the scriptures. He says, the text says, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go. Now, Jacob, let's be very clear. He is outgunned. He is outmanned. The impression is that the angel just, you know, God just takes a little finger and boom, his hips out of, out of joint. I mean, it's not like this is a real match. But God is testing Jacob's faith. He's seeing if Jacob will cling to God and to say, Lord, even if I've got nothing else, I've got you. And I'm not letting go. And friends, i got to tell you what delights the heart of God. What delights the heart of God is a relentless, even a stubborn pursuit of God. Do you know there's a holy stubbornness, if I can put it that way? There's a, there's a pursuit that says to God, God, I am not letting go of you because you're what I need more than anything else. An Old Testament scholar says about our text, not Jacob wrestling with God, but the story of Moses interceding for God's people and saying, Lord, listen, because remember what Moses said. It's, it's not enough that you'll go with me. If you don't go with your people, we won't go. 
And the scholar says this. I love this. Such boldness of faith presses into the heart of God and brings away the blessing. Do you know that God wants you to press into his heart to get the blessing? It's not about your salvation. It's not about earning anything. That's not what we're talking about. It's only through the work of Christ that any one of us can know God. But what we see in Moses is we see a faith that says, I am not moving from this place, Lord, unless your presence goes with us, with your people. Not just the angel, God, unless it's your presence. I'm not going. I am not moving. And again, I want to be very clear. Moses is not arguing with God in the way that we understand arguing. God has every single thing ordained and planned out that will ever happen. The God who who made everything that the James Webb telescope is capturing right now is the beauty, the, the power that we're just, scientists are completely floored by what they're seeing. The God of all power and might is not persuaded. His mind is not changed. But this is what you need to see. God desires his people to cling to him like this. This holy stubbornness, this determination, this way that says, God, I'm not going to let go of you because you've given me your promises and you, des- you delight, your heart delights when I pursue you. Your heart delights when I cling to you and I say, Lord, I won't let go. Do you know what delights the heart of God the most? It's the prayers. It's when we pray prayers that are the promises of his word. I really believe that's what delights his heart the most. When we say, Lord, you said you'd make me holy, make me holy. Lord, you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. Make make that truth so real to me. Lord, you said you'd use me to expand your kingdom. I want you to use me. Lord, you said you'd give me the fruit of the Spirit. I'm struggling with self-control. I'm struggling with patience. I'm struggling with whatever it is. Lord, there's this area of sin that has a hold on my heart, but you said you'd sanctify me by the power of your Spirit. I need you to do that, Lord. The prayers that delight God's heart the most are when we pray the promises of God's word. Because what God wants us to be, he wants us to be the kind of people who say, Lord, if you don't go, if you don't go with me, what's the point? I don't want to step out one foot in a direction where your presence is not there. And so I will seek your face in prayer. I will pursue you in your word. I will fellowship with your people. I will remember Hebrews 7.25, which says, My Lord Jesus always lives to make intercession for me. And I will cling to you in faith because that delights your heart. And so often, instead of a golden fleece, instead of saying, God, I need you to, you know, Give me some kind of special sign that's going to magically appear. What God wants for us is to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle. And then his peace and the assurance of his promises fills our heart more and more and more. And we have that confidence and that knowledge 
that wherever we go, God goes with us. And that if we have his presence, what else do we need? See, Moses saw that. Lord, as long as we have you, everything else, everybody whose name ends in I, doesn't matter. As long as we have your presence, then all your promises, we'll, we'll see the fruition of them in our lives, and we'll have all that we need. Dear friends, let's be the kind of people who pursue our God. Not because it's going to save us, but because we want to go deeper into Him. We want to experience more of Him. We want to delight His heart as we pursue the promises that we know are ours in Christ. Let us pray. Oh God, we need You. You are the same God, the God of Jacob, who wrestled with you, the God of Moses, who interceded for your people, the God who has given us your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us, through your power and grace, a holy pursuit of you and the assurance of your presence. For the glory of your name we pray.